Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with the outstretched arms and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you from out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. And Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is the word of the Lord. later. Well, broom ball uh, brings back fond memories. I wish I had put in a broom ball illustration into this sermon from 27 years ago. Uh, but uh, let's now go to the Word of God. Let's come to Him in prayer as we walk through this beautiful passage. Father, we thank You for this account, and we pray that as we uh, walk through it, that we would hear you, that we would uh, confess and admit our struggles to you, but most of all, that we would hear your assurances and your promises to us, your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, puzzles are a very satisfying thing to put together. And when I was in Boise, when we were in Boise a few weekends ago, my three-year-old granddaughter, Amelia, had started a puzzle on the floor. And it was sitting there for about a day. It was about half done. And I kept looking at it and thinking, man, I'm going to enjoy this thing. So I finally went over, and I finished the puzzle. Well, Grandpa caused a meltdown. <laughs> it wasn't for me to finish. Amelia was upset that Grandpa finished her puzzle. And I kept thinking, you know, Amelia, I can mess it up again. You can start over. And kid, wait till you get older. There will be plenty of unfinished puzzles for you in life. You know, as we get older, the pieces of life uh, and the puzzle don't always fit together. And we know this. You eat anti-inflammatory foods and you exercise, but you still out of nowhere get diagnosed with cancer or a heart disease. 
You work hard and smart with a great attitude and you still get laid off in a rough economy. Proverbs 22.6 says, Raise up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. But sometimes, at least for a long season perhaps, they do depart from it. And so our text is uncomfortably candid about Moses struggling with the pieces of the puzzle that don't fit. In the intervening chapters that we have looked at over the last few weeks, God met Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. And he revealed there to Moses, he said, I am who I am, and I will lead you and use you to deliver my people. So God gave Moses signs and wonders through which Moses was to show the Israelites that God had called him to deliver them out of Egypt. And despite Moses' reluctance, he stepped out in obedient faith. So, so far, so good. The puzzle is coming together, it would seem. But Moses' encounter with Pharaoh did not go well. He said, as God's mouthpiece, let my people go. God said, let my people go that they might come out into the wilderness and sacrifice to me. But Pharaoh bellowed, make them work harder. You see, no straw has been given to your servants, the Israelites said to the Egyptians. Yet they say to us, that is the foremen say to us, make bricks. But look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault, Pharaoh. But Pharaoh said, you are, he says this to God's people, you are lazy slackers. And so he put upon them more work, less resources, less time off, less pay. You see, Pharaoh wasn't merely a bad boss, but he was an evil dictator, a type of evil dictators to come. And he was putting the Israelites under a punishing servitude. Well, in all of this, understandably, the people of God turned their frustration with Pharaoh toward Moses, the one God had called. And they say, Make, may the Lord take note of you and judge because you made us reek or stink to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. And in future chapters, we will hear more of the complaints of God's people. And so as we come to this very candid section, there are three themes I want us to look at. And, and really the last one is just a brief question. The first is we bring our struggles to God. The second, God reasserts his promises. And the third is, will we listen? So we bring our struggles to God. You know, when you live enough years, uh, I'm going to be 58 this week, <laughs> life over time, you realize, brings its aches and its, its pains. And sometimes it's not just physical, of course, but it can be relational or emotional. Someone quipped about um, just growing up in life, sometimes I wish I were a little kid 
so I could just take a nap and everyone would be proud of me. <laughs> but life is so much harder than that as we age. The puzzle pieces don't always fit. But as our community group recently said, someone said in the group, they're suffering and then they're suffering. There are the sudden tragic losses that I know some of you have experienced. There is criminal injustice that we have seen in the news this week uh, in a very, very local context. There was the oppression that the Israelites faced. And so in the crucible of life and ministry in verse 22, we are told Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to your people? Why did you ever send me? Do you ever feel that way? Lord, why did you send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Someone said that this prayer is one of the most human things that we find in the Bible, and yet we really do find this kind of human expression all throughout the Scripture. You see, prayer, friends, is petition, and it is strenuous petition. God invites us to lay out our frustrations to Him. Now, we may need to repent of our bad theology that we have demanded that God act on our timetables, but the point is God can handle it, and God will correct us if He needs to. I thought this week, looking at this passage of 1 Samuel, where uh, Hannah was a woman who had been barren and she longed to have a child. And so she goes to the temple and she prays. And it's actually the priest, Eli, who doesn't actually discern what she is doing, that she is praying. And she's not necessarily praying out loud, but but struggling as she moves her mouth, as she prays somewhat silently. And we're told in 1 Samuel that Eli, the priest, notice, said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? He thought she had come drunk to the temple. Put away your wine, he says. Well, not so, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer but I was pouring out my soul to the Lord, praying here out of my great anguish and grief. What candor, what petition. It is like Moses. And so we are to express when we are having a hard time with something or someone which is better than drifting into this kind of polite coldness and distance that people often drift into in their struggles. This is inviting us that we, we shouldn't try to make nice with God. No, rather lay out your heart to Him in candid appeal. The theologian J.I. Packer said that, that older Christians in an earlier generation used to argue with God which is exactly what Moses is doing. And so lay out your reasons, lay out your desires, all the while saying, not my will, but thy will be done. 
That's the way Hannah prayed. And she was given a son. She was given Samuel, who became the prophet. God works according to his timetable. Now again, I think we tend to be uncomfortable with this kind of lament, this kind of petition, this kind of candor in our prayers. I think some of us um, were raised with the idea of keeping a stiff upper lip. There's a product that I want to buy. It's a, a chapstick, and it has a picture of the British flag and a picture of Winston Churchill, and it is called Winston Churchill Stiff Upper Lip Ointment. <laughs> Never surrender peppermint. Uh, there is a place for the Winston Churchill Stiff Upper Lip lifestyle. But when it comes to the Lord, friends, uh, we don't need to try to fake it with Him. It is so tempting to gloss over or to just pretend to, to varnish over the things that we would hope might vanish. But the Lord says, bring your candor to me. In fact, the name Israel means struggle with God. And that's what Moses is doing here. And we see this not only with Moses, with Hannah, with other biblical figures, with David, but we see it also with Christ, who when he was on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And notice that this is not a a question that is posited to some sort of God hypothesis as though God might be out there and the suffering calls that hypothesis into question. No, not at all. It is saying, I know you to be real. I know you to be true. And because I know this, I can bring my struggles to you, not as a hypothesis, but as a person, as the God who knows me and whom I know. And so with the prophet Habakkuk, we can say, how long, O Lord, how long will you wait? Please, Lord, come to make this right. Help, heal, deliver. What are you facing in your life wherein you need to pray in that way? Perhaps it's a family struggle, an emotional struggle a financial struggle, or a dark night of the soul, a challenge in your faith, you bring your candor and your earnest petition to the Lord. Phil Riken put it this way, as Moses' intimacy with God through prayer developed, he learned to take his troubles back to God. And in moments of doubt and discouragement, his impulse was to go and meet with God. And so the question is, do we have the same impulse? Knowing that in Christ, help is never more than a prayer away. You see, Christ was not only the one who said, my God, why have you forsaken me? But because of his faithfulness, we know that God is ultimately hearing our prayers. We know that God is faithful to us. 
And so we see the invitation to bring our struggles to God, but far more importantly, we've really only looked at two verses here. The bulk of this is that God reasserts his promises to his people. You see, friends, how we are doing in life and what is going on with us must be reframed in light of who God is, especially toward us. We need a God-centered perspective and a God-centered assurance in our struggles, don't we? In chapter 6, verse 1, God says to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, he will drive them out of the land. So what God is doing here is he is reiterating that he is for Moses. He is telling him, I am the Lord, as he told him in the burning bush. He lets him know that he did not refer to himself as Lord to the earlier patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but only then is God Almighty. But now he is saying, I am giving you progressive unfolding revelation. I am telling you, I am the Lord, and this is what I'm going to do. I promised this to the patriarchs, and now you are going to see these promises come to fruition. In verse 4, he says, I have established my covenant to grant them, that is, my people, the land of Canaan. And I have promised to give them this place that is marked out for them. And this is now a land that they would enter some 40 years later on God's timetable. And friends, when we come to the New Testament, that promise of land that was real, that was specific, that was in the Middle East, that now widens out, the New Testament says, to encompass the whole earth. It is the kingdom of Jesus. This is how Hebrews puts the promise of God for land to us. Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. This is in Hebrews 11. But as it is, they desired a better country, not just a plot of limited land, but a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, Hebrews 11 says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city that is a place of restored intimacy and relationship with God where human beings flourish. It has been called a, a new garden city, the new heavens and the new earth. This is what God is promising to them in a very local way, but to us in the coming of Christ in a very universal way. And God continues, he says, Moreover, Moses, I have heard their cries and their groaning under the yoke of the Egyptians. And he repeats this twice in the passage. And this tells us, friends, that when we struggle, God hears our cries. He knows what you are saying. He knows what you are going through. And he says to you, as he said to Moses, I will remember my covenant. 
What beautiful language, language this is. It's not God saying, oh, I'm going to forget <laughs> that I need a, a reminder. He is saying, I am re-demonstrating that I am committed to you. And then he says, I will deliver you. You see, I delivered the Egyptians, or rather the Israelites, out of bondage in Egypt. And Colossians 1 tells us that if we are in Christ, we have been delivered from the domain of the darkness of our sin into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. And so we see again these very specific local fulfillments of this passage and the promises of God and then how it flowers fully in the coming of Christ. You see, we can be assured that the injustices of this world will be resolved by the justice of God. He will keep his promises. King Jesus has come to die on the cross and he will come to put all evil under his feet. And so God says, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. Now the language of redemption is that of a kinsman redeemer, somebody coming alongside a family member who in their situation there in the Old Testament had put themselves in financial servitude and a relative would come and pay a ransom to release and liberate that person. Well, of course, our kinsman redeemer is Jesus Christ. And the ransom he paid was his very own life given up in death for us. But then we see where this ultimately goes in verse 7. God says to Moses, I will take them, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You see, this is not just emancipation from a negative situation, but an ushering into the most positive reality imaginable. It is God bringing us from bondage into relationship with Him and His kingdom. But it's more beautiful than that. It is the language, friends, of marriage. This is God dedicating his personal betrothal to us. He is saying, I will commit to you, not contractually, but covenantally, promising to say, I do. It is such a beautiful thing as a pastor to, to stand up and to see a husband and wife exchange their vows to each other. And this is God saying, that I will keep my promises. I have demonstrated already to the patriarchs that I will not let you down. And someday I will send my son. And his vow, my vow to you, will be that his hands were put upon the cross for you. What a bridegroom he is. And so... God belongs to us and we belong to him. And this is the language of intimate betrothal. That is what God is saying to his people. And I want you to notice something as we've just gone through some of these promises very briefly. 
there is no Moses here in these words, right? You know, Moses is talking, Moses is struggling, and then we hear God saying, I will, I will, I will. And friends, he says that God does seven times. And Jewish scholars in particular point out that the number seven symbolizes completeness and wholeness. And it is God saying to us, my promise is completed in Christ. I will keep my word. Do you hear me saying to you, I will and I have? Well, what a relief really it is. It was, it must have been for Moses and it is for us that we do not have to deliver ourselves. We do not have to redeem ourselves. You know, our culture has so many ways of saying, I curate my life. I am self-made. I am my own person. And often it, it's expressed in, in proving oneself, you know, in your work, in the way you look, in how much you earn, in the people you know. Uh, Taylor Swift's new album, I've only heard little bits and pieces. Uh, someone in my family, uh, under 30, was listening to one of her recent songs. And there's one of her new songs uh, called Mirrorball, in which the famous pop artist sings, as she gets a little older and reflects on where she's really at in life, she says, I'm still on that tightrope. I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. You see, it's all self. I'm still on that trapeze. I'm still trying everything to keep you looking at me. And that's the way our culture tells us to live, even with God. If I do these things, if I'm faithful, if I'm kind, if I try to keep myself together, then God, you will look at me. But God says, no, I will. I have betrothed myself to you. A reviewer said about another song um, about, or, uh, from Taylor Swift, it's called Antihero. A reviewer reflected that she is admitting, admitting that she is the problem, not the one who solves it. And the writer said, a hero's cape weighs heavy and swift wants to throw it off. You see, friends, the Bible speaks so much to the human current situation. Belonging to God in Christ means that we don't have to wear the heavy cape of self-salvation. We don't have to say, I will, I do, it's all about me, it's all about performing. No. As one writer said, we do not have the terror of being one's own. But we have the assurance of belonging to God. And so one writer has said, what has appeared to Moses and the Israelites as a serious deterioration of an already bad situation has been instead a careful preparation by God for what is to come. As we're going to see in the coming weeks, even Pharaoh's hard-hearted refusal was part of the plan of salvation. 
God was orchestrating events and even the reactions of Pharaoh to show that only God could be the one that would bring his people out. You see, the all-wise and the all-powerful God of Israel, our God, had and has everything under control. And so God demonstrates his love and his power to us through adversity. He proves through our trials that he keeps his promises no matter what or who stands in his way. And friends, it is ultimately, as Moses and the people of God, it is ultimately according to his timetable. You see, going back to the puzzle illustration, when the puzzles get much, much bigger, you know, the 500-piece puzzles, it's helpful to look at the picture on the box. Otherwise, you have no idea where it's all going. And what this is giving us is the picture on the box. That we are not the ones ultimately to put the pieces together, but that God is and that God will. Charles Spurgeon and uh, the women uh, and women's Bible study this week saw this quote, read it, and it was encouraging to many. Spurgeon said, Judge not providence in little pieces, in separate puzzle pieces, if you will, but look at it as a grand mosaic seen as a whole. And that whole includes even the rebellion and the evil of Pharaoh. That whole, that mosaic, going back to the words of Jesus, was God saying, in the forsakenness of my son, I am redeeming you. I have delivered you. Because my son gave himself over as a ransom in love. I have made you to be my people and I have brought you into the promised land, into relationship with me. You see, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. And so we close with a question, how or will we listen? Verse 9, very simply, but the Israelites didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And we can understand this. You know, sometimes a, a kid gets so beside her, himself or herself that they can't hear the reassurance of mom or dad. And this is true for us as adults as well. Sometimes our pain shouts at us for our attention but this is saying, bring your anguish, even bring your impatience to the Lord. And, and so what trials threaten to drown out the word of God? What challenges threaten to keep you from hearing Christ speaking to you? Well, this is challenging us to bring our challenges to him and to listen to God speaking the assurances of his son to us. He is saying to you, I will, 
I will, I have, I have. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to cry out candidly, to bring our petitions to you as Moses did, as Hannah did, as David did, as Jesus did. And God, help us not to struggle as those who would push you away and and walk outside of the circle of your covenant care, but, but to struggle inside that circle, to know that we in Christ are your people. And we thank you for all of these promises of I will that you told Moses that you would redeem, that you would deliver, that you would take your people out and to yourself God, we are so grateful that this has happened in Christ. That he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into his kingdom. That in him you have taken us to be your people. You have betrothed yourself to us. And we thank you that you will never break your wedding vows, but that you have kept them in your son. And so, God, now as we come to the table of our bridegroom, we pray that we would hear you and that we would respond and that the challenges that we have in life would not so weigh us down that that we can only hear pain and not you speaking to us through those challenges. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.